Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today I'm talking to Dan Jenkins. Dan is someone I met uh, as a guest on his podcast. And um, I enjoyed the experience so much. Very rarely this happens, but I thought it'd be great to get Dan to come back because he had quite an interesting set of perspectives on the subjects we were talking about at the time. And um, so, good afternoon, Dan. Hi, Russell. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I, I would also say thank, thank you very much for the compliment of saying you enjoyed my podcast so much. But it's definitely reciprocal. Great. And I can tell from your accent, you're not across the pond. You're, uh, no. you're, where are you actually from? So I'm, I'm from South Wales. Um, many people call the best part of the world. I'd definitely be one of those people, but uh, others may not. Uh, no, I'm from, I'm from Swansea uh, originally, but moved to London around five years ago. So okay. there's a little bit of a, a Welsh accent left, but um, it's slowly, slowly degrading. A little bit of a Welsh accent, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I can smell the valleys. That's it. Well, especially when, I, when I'm speaking to my father as well, my wife can't understand me, but uh, that's a different story entirely. Can you speak Welsh? I can speak a little bit. I mean, we, we were, uh, I don't like using the word forced, but we were forced to learn it in school. Um, but I did know uh, quite a bit of Welsh, but again, that's been slowly degrading away because I don't use it. Weirdly, no one in London really speaks Welsh unless you yeah. go to the right places. But, um, uh, you know, it, it'll come back, especially when I've had a few drinks, then, uh, then it, it shoots back to the front of the mind. Well, it's, um, we have a lot of Americans listen to this podcast, and I think it would be um, brilliant if you could speak a little bit of Welsh to them. And I'd like you to, if you would, just incorporate a sentence that has the word microwave in it. <laughs> You've really put me on the spot here, Russell. Um, Hello, uh, my name's Microwave. Try that. Yeah. Well, Prinhounda, which means good afternoon. For anybody, Daniel, my name is Daniel, or for anybody, Poppy Ping, if you want to say my, my name is Microwave. But that, that is probably the greatest word in the Welsh language, Poppy Ping. Poppy Ping, that's the word for Microwave. How do they come up with it? I, I'll never know. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. Anyway, come on, stop, stop messing about now. Um, yeah. So great, lovely to see you uh, back with us. I mean, tell us, um, I'll tell, my, tell the audience what it is you do. So I'll start with what I do now and we can always work our way backwards. So I'm a consultant solicitor or a lawyer for the American listeners. Um, I work for two law firms here in London, although one is more uh, a new age virtual firm. Um, so I do a lot of litigation, which is basically people arguing against one another or with companies or companies arguing with one another. So it's 
uh, always contentious, uh, always filled with stress, filled with deadlines. Um, so I do that. That's my main job. And then on, on the side, I run this podcast where you and I met, which is just talking about uh, starting up businesses. So it's for those who've just started up or looking to start up a business, uh, dealing with the practical elements of it and also the mental health elements of it. Um, the latter, I, th I think, is very important, especially in uh, this day and age, because I, uh, I mean, as we'll get on to, um, a lot of younger people or a lot of my friends who are looking to start up businesses suffer a lot with you know, the stresses and anxieties that typically come with taking on quite a big venture. So I was quite keen to start something up where I could provide people with tools that I would have found useful when I was starting up my own business a, a year or so ago. So that's a little bit about me. That's sort of where we are um, today. Okay, cool. So, so as you've alluded, um, one of the things I think I found fascinating was this idea you had, or this, you know, thing we talked about where you were saying a lot of people my age are finding it, you know, tricky with stresses and strains. And it, I mean, it, it's fair to say that every, every era, every age group has its challenges. Do you think, do you think there's something, I don't, I don't mean unique in a derogatory term here. Do you think there's something different about this new age group that's rocking through at the moment and finding things are tough. I think that, that the answer to that is probably going to be yes, regardless of what generation you look at. And the reason being is every new generation is faced with something new that the previous ones haven't encountered before. The reason I think that perhaps this generation, mine or the one before it, I don't know, are probably facing something new is with the advancement of technology, um, a lot of pressure has come with it. And I can, I can give you a very simple example of what I mean. So in, in my area of work with law, uh, the partners who I used to work for back in South Wales, they used to tell me, you know, gone are the days where the client would try and get hold of us by letter or by telephone. And typically you'd have a number of days before that person responded to you. And then you'd have another few days after that to respond back to them and so on and so forth. So everything was done reasonably slowly. Nowadays, however, you've got mobile phones, so everyone is contactable pretty much immediately. Everyone has their work emails on their phones. So people expect a response in minutes, hours, as opposed to days now. And I think with that comes the added pressure, you know, the expectation for people to respond. If I don't respond quickly, then they may go somewhere else to find uh, someone who will respond quickly to them, you know, in a work context. So... I do think there's um, a different set of challenges for the new generation, myself included. That doesn't mean to say any generation that's come before us is, or their burden was lessened. I just think that nowadays it's different and it's different for those reasons, I think. So it's always interesting, isn't it, when you get into the technology debate between generations, and it's fair to say that you and I are different generations. Um, even though I tried to, I think, pretend I was 27 on your podcast. It didn't, didn't come across well, did it? didn't go down well. It's not a good look. Um, 35 at the oldest, I think. That's what uh, I, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's that thing where, you know, I look at technology and see that this is massive, enabling, liberating um, um, toolkit. And, and I do meet lots of people who say, no, it's just not that. It's, it, it's far from that. It's, it's a sort of enslaving it's um you know it's creating this it's creating this perfect storm where you have the internet where everybody knows everybody these expectations have grown and, and i think the problem is, is it's actually both things at the same time isn't it mm -hmm. and, and therein yep. therein is the problem 
So, exactly. so is but I mean, you're a generation. Your generation's grown up without without knowing what a world without this sort of technology. So you would assume you would assume you would be more comfortable with it. Is is that not true? Um, I was thinking about this earlier um, because you and I touched upon the subject on my podcast. But so when I was growing up, because I'm 32 now, so I was growing up and I remember, you know, dial up and, you know, the noise that it made and having one computer per household, you know, all of this being shouted at for getting off the telephone line, you know, whilst people were, or getting off the internet whilst people needed the telephone line. So I I do remember that. But in the work context or for my adult life, I've not known any different than having emails or people being able to call you up on your cell phone and knowing where you are, et cetera. So to answer your question, yes, I don't, I don't really know any different. And it, and the analogy that I, I, I sort of quickly came up with when I was thinking about it is a lot of people say you can't see the wood for the trees. Okay. Well, at the moment I would imagine myself in the middle, in the middle of the forest. No, I can't see the bigger picture because I never knew what it was like beforehand. So it's very difficult for me to imagine a world where I couldn't be contacted immediately. So then that comes with it. Two questions, I guess, is one, you know, does it really affect you because you didn't know any different? Uh, and two, you know, does, does that really matter? Cause you've grown up with it. Therefore all of your expectations or, um, work life balance has grown up with the knowledge that that technology exists. So it's a very difficult question to approach and it's a difficult one to answer. Um, how has my life been affected or how would it have been affected if I'd grown up in a different time? The honest answer, I don't know. And it's fascinating, um, isn't it? Because I grew up in a time where we didn't have this technology. And to me, it's only, it's only liberational. It's only transformational. And, and, um, and it's interesting. It's almost, I just wonder whether we've got a better handle on it, our generation, simply because mm-hmm. we have seen the difference. Exactly. I mean, it, it also makes me laugh. Um, you're talking about being a solicitor and I've worked a lot in, in that world. And, um, you know, I'm buying a house at the moment and, uh, my solicitor expects me to send everything by letter. Really? I, and I said, so well, where's my online portal? And so I can, you know, get, re- you know, register and get all the stuff or we haven't got one. I said, well, how can you not want one? And I mean, I know you can do a, a conveyance transaction in one day, but you do, and it's going to take them 11 to 12 weeks. So I'm not surprised if you're using the post and you have these, you have these sorts of anachronistic professions, don't you? And, mm-hmm. and I, and I know that, you know, actually the legal profession in some ways is at the very forefront of it, but it's got this massively long tail, hasn't it? Where technology is almost, you know, hasn't really touched, touched the world yet. And I think you see that difference in the, in the generations across that thing, because it's my generation in this firm that's in the way of the technology. And yet my generation in my world really loves that sort of technology. So, you know, how do you think the legal profession would, how do you think the legal profession actually has changed? Because at the moment I'm struggling to say it. I mean, there's a long conversation there. Um, But Law, in my opinion, is one of those um, areas where it usually lags a little bit behind in, with regard or with respect to other industries. I don't think law is moving as quickly as it ought to be mm. um, because I think there's a lot of technology out there that isn't utilized properly. Uh, case in point, your conveyances. Um, there's a lot of technology that helps case handlers to be able to move things quickly, and a lot of that comes through automation. You know, that's great. And it it is reasonably affordable from what I understand. 
So, you know, this sort of goes back to the original um, point I was making with there's an inherent pressure now to keep up with the latest technological advances, because if you don't, you get left behind very quickly. And with it comes with uh, comes added pressure. So again, I don't I don't want to throw your lawyers under the bus, but let's say an equivalent firm who does I don't know all sorts of law, they don't update their case management system or they don't update their um, emails or whatever it is they they don't update. They're very quickly going to get left behind by others, and I think this is true of any industry. You know, if if people can utilize technology to improve um, time efficiency. Uh, keep the cost down for their clients. Why on earth would people not go to them? So, and, and yet people are going to this firm because, of course, they pay the highest commissions to the estate agents. So, and this, so well, it's interesting, you see, because now, now you're starting to unpick the thing, the saw here, aren't you? Because if you think about the legal world and the case handlers, so years ago I worked in a, a firm that had to ruthlessly drive down its costs. So we got rid of all the highly skilled lawyers, brought in case handlers, given them fantastic technology. Yeah. And we created the modern equivalent of battery farming. So you yeah. had people who had soulless jobs, who were simply you know, transacting a process from A to B, then it used to move along the line that was B to C, then it was C to D. And it was less interesting than working on a car plant you know, in Sunderland, building a mm-hmm. Nissan Duke or something, and no meaning. And then suddenly we discovered this idea of burnout because technology then became that point of just creating a job where there was actually no value in the human transaction. They were just, they were just there really to, you know, to switch it on, switch it off and to press some keys from time to time and feed in and yeah. take out. And I can see, I can see there, especially if you've got younger people doing those jobs because often they're cheaper and they're newer in their careers, blah, 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 blah. I can see the case there for that burnout thing because that's equivalent to going down the mines or up the chimneys in a sense, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that goes into a, um, a slightly different topic in terms of purpose, doesn't it? So I know, again, from my limited knowledge, and I don't claim to be an expert on this, but if people don't have a sense of purpose, then I understand that affects their their mental well-being. Yeah. Um, so I guess you've got, you've got two elements there. One is the expectation to be able to work at all hours. And the second one is if you railroad people, then I guess you take away their sense of purpose. So there's sort of a dual pronged um, danger with uh, technology advancing, let's say in the, in the legal world, just because that's something that I know and I know you know as well. So uh, just to go back to your example, I mean, when I was uh, working in a law firm before I did my training contract, et cetera, I could see that, you know, this was the business model. They would pigeonhole people because that's the most efficient way to deal with it. They'd have person A dealing with, uh, I don't know, uh, car, car crashes where there's no personal injury, just recovery of um, uh, the damages to the car, and they act only for the claimants uh, for cases between uh, zero and, and 10,000 pounds. And everything they get in that falls within that category, they'll pass to this group of people, and they're expected to deal with it. And they would, you know, they'd deal with it over and over and over again. And that's great for the business, but it's not so great for the person doing it. As you said, it, it almost feels like they become uh, just a cog in a machine. Um, and that's something that I actively moved away from because that's not what I wanted to do in my career. I'd rather have, you know, the challenge of doing something different and, and actually having to think and argue points rather than going through a, a, what is a tick-pock exercise. And, and it's interesting because a lot of people talk about... Mili- 
I can't say millennials. It's one of those yeah. words that I have real <laughs> trouble with that, that lot. A lot of people yeah. talk about them as being this sort of feckless, over-entitled generation. But in a sense, what's happened is that they've been, they've been brought up with the generation before saying, hey, you can have a job with meaning. Hey, you can have a job that has intellect. You know, um, you know, we've got rid of all the heavy manufacturing. All that's gone. You should be having jobs with meaning and purpose. But actually what I'm finding is that people from that generation are going into these sort of highly, the gig economy, the, these highly computerized, low value, low brain power jobs. And then they're burning out because actually I wonder if the expectation of a better life had been set by my generation who brought them up and then moan about them almost continuously because actually we were guilty of actually oversetting their expectations and not resetting that idea that you just have to earn your spurs. You have to go through the grunt before you mm. get to the, to the sort of the promised land. I, I think the, the other point to add on to that is we see an awful lot of people now with the ideal and that's usually through social media and I know everyone, you know, everyone bashes it, but it, you know, it is true to, to yeah. a large degree. You log on to Facebook or whatever else, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter, whatever it is you, you may be using, and you see someone else saying, look, look what I've got. I've got this uh, Lamborghini, whatever. Um, you can have this if you, if you do this, this, and this, and they try and sell you things. Uh, or some people on YouTube, they're showing, uh, you know, this is what I've, I've earned and this is what I've done to get to where I am. And you have a lot of people with that overwhelming sense of, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And I must be doing something wrong yeah. if I'm not getting what, what they've got. So it, it's, it's very difficult. And I don't think, I don't think we as um, a society are keeping up with the technological advances. I mean, technology in theory should uh, um, increase exponentially you know as new as new things are discovered the next thing should be easier to discover i would assume again i'm not an expert in it but that's seems to me to be the, the the logical way of looking at it and i just wonder if you know certain things we're learning how to cope with after we've actually developed them and i don't know if this is true in history generally but at least for my generation and my observations we've got things like social media and we don't yet understand or at least we're trying to understand what the larger impacts are on the mental health for people being exposed to that 24 seven, um, especially youngsters. You know, you, you see a lot of kids who are uh, growing up with their friends being on Instagram and all these different things. And, and again, this is from observations of uh, friends, children, they sort of have this overwhelming pressure to try and fit in even when they're outside of school. You know, I, I used to be able to go to school and come home and then, you know, watch TV or just be a kid at home. Whereas now, you're instantly contactable. You know, you're supposed to be taking photos if you're away on holiday. You know, doing all these different things, um, and you know, it's just another thing that's contributing to what I think is just an underlying level of anxiety that is generally present in any generation, and maybe so, it's increasing it. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that combination of cortisol, which is stress, and dopamine, which is reward, and then you know that youngsters thing about um, peer pressure. And this idea that you have to be online and seen or, I mean, and you know, there's another channel, there's TikTok, there's Twitch, there's all those things where basically people are there to be showing off and such like. And, and I, and I think you're right. I think that always on mentality is new, isn't it? And I think, you know, if you look, I think you've made a, made a really good point there. I think that, that we're not used to the mental effects of that. We're not used to being 
in a state of high arousal, high addiction, actually all of the time. And, and what we are doing is seeing, you know, um, people who are exhibiting, which, which the only thing you can exhibit is anxiety, isn't it? Because actually we're not, we're, as human beings, we're, we're not skilled enough to have a huge range of emotions. They've only got a few. And so that's the one we're seeing all the time. It's a type of fear, isn't it? The fear of the unknown, the fear of the being judged, the fear of um, not knowing, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And, and it strikes me, you're right. I think you, you are seeing kids who are coming, they're not being... They're not being taught the tools at a very early age to understand they have choices in this. And they have to be taught because, of course, they just experience the world as they experience it. And it's, you know, it strikes me that parents who aren't often as good with social as media don't really understand that you can't have none and you can't have it all. But, you know, what on earth, what on earth is the balance? And that, and that seems to be the, the sort of critical issue here, isn't it? Because you, well, you can't detox all the time because we have to use this stuff. Well, I, I was going to ask you um, for your view on it, actually. I mean, you, on this podcast, I've seen you've had, you've had so many people come on with expert opinions and, um, you know, who are far more knowledgeable than I am about the topic. Is, the, is there an answer to this? Is there, is there uh, an appropriate amount that we should be spending? I mean, look, each person's different. I appreciate that, but on, on, on average... Is there an answer to the amount of time that we should be spending on social media or working or generally things like that? We spoke about structuring the day, but I wonder if if you would elaborate on that a bit more. I mean, how, how do you see the answer as being? What is the answer? I, I think the problem comes with one of self-awareness. And the trouble is the younger you are, the less you have. So it has to be guided. The problem is we should have as much social media as we want, but not need. And I think what you'll see with people is, and that figure is different for different people and different ages. And, you know, I, I see young, youngish girls who are on social media all the time. And that's because they need it. They really do need it. They're lost without it. And you can mm -hmm. see them detoxing when they're, you know, they're coming down from it. And, and I think you have to recognize the signs of addiction. Now, I had a chap called um, Rob Lohman, who is an addiction specialist, and Frank Field, their addiction specialist. And they talked very openly about the effects of social media and alcohol. And, and of course the net effect on us is the same. So it is addiction. So their view is that the right amount is none. And because, in, because like an alcoholic, if you're an alcoholic, the right amount is none. But of yep. course what happens is what we have to judge is how much is enough before you become an alcoholic yep. because yep. Every, not everybody becomes an alcoholic. And that's the point, isn't it? It's the same mm -hmm. with social media. You've got to know yourself well enough to be, in in control of the phone and what you do see and this is parenting what you see is 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 parents who don't know how to enforce that because they don't know how to parent yeah you know they they let the i mean you know a lot of children we know are brought up by sesame street or teletubbies or, or midnight garden or pepper pig or whatever it is they're the, they're the models for parenting mm. and um you know it's a bit of a dismissive and i understand that but but as parents, what we've got to think about is keeping an eye on children as soon as we see the signs of early stages of addiction, which is where kids need it rather than want it. And it's very easy to spot that difference because when you, still, when you want it and you're saying, I want it, I want it, I want it, you can put, still put it down and be okay. But when you need it, need it, need it, when you put it down, you actually, you actually see the physical effects of that. And I think we have to become much more attuned to that in, in earlier ages because the, the, you know, the un- the, the, the completely plastic brain has been set at a very early age. Yeah. And, uh, 
but it's not too late to do it. I mean, you know, I, mm. I get addicted to my phone as well. And I'll suddenly discover that yeah, there it is sitting there now there. And I'll get, I'll, be, I'll just find myself picking it up and looking at it. And that's I, the classic sign. I'm not actually doing anything with it. I just picking it up and look at it. And I know myself immediately that's become, that's become something that's controlling me, not the other way around. See, I think that's key. And just to go back to my terrible analogy at the very beginning, I've grown up in, in a world where uh, I've not known any difference. So I, yeah. you know, I, I'm in the middle of this wood, as, as I said, whereas you've actively been outside of it and you've walked into it so you can understand where the parameters are and you, yeah. you know how to get out of it. So because I don't know how to do that, or my generation doesn't know how to do that, doesn't that pose a greater problem looking ahead, which is, well, once, you know, once the generation who didn't grow up with social media or, or in that wood, for want of a better term, what happens when that generation leaves? How on earth is my generation meant to know what a good level is and how are we meant to, to police that for the next generation? Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost seems like we're, we're going to be building upon um, foundations of sand. You know, it, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work unless we really take a handle of it at some point. Yeah. Well, I don't think we've seen the full horror yet because we, AI's hardly started. AR is just getting going and VR is, I've now got my VR things over there because I do virtual reality therapy. And, you know, you put people in a situation where they, they you know, they're experiencing what they would experience as if they're outside. <clears throat> now here's, there yeah. was an, in the 1920s, I think there was a nihilistic German philosopher wrote a book called The Hood and in it, a very prescient book, he talked about this, um, this idea of, of wearing a hood and you just lived your head and, you know, lived your life inside of your head. Mm -hmm. And actually, you never needed to get out of bed. Yeah. Because actually everything was supplied through your own visual. And it's a bit like the Matrix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think by the time we figured out social media, we'll be too late because I think we'll be consuming it and being marketed at by people who will be unable to differentiate it between VR and AI and AR. So I think yeah. we've got to get something sorted soon. And, you know, maybe this, uh, this is your next project. Maybe this is a, maybe <laughs> yeah. this is a thing for you. I've got past this stage now, but maybe this is a thing for your generation to figure out how much is good enough, how much is enough. I mean, you know, we can work, we know the parameters of what too much and too little looks like. And it's just a question of being able to translate that for individuals, isn't it? It's very difficult because I, I can relate to you saying, you know, you're picking your phone up every moment to have a look at it because you obviously get you get that instant reward if yeah, you definitely. see someone's you know notified you and i've caught myself before you know watching youtube for the, the times that i'm not working during the day and i shouldn't really be doing that because i'm still switched on as yeah. it were um i know with certain tv programs you can sort of switch off a little bit but really you need to take time to to be away from any sort of device but i find that really difficult to do yeah. um mainly because I've been geared to this uh, instant reward yeah. uh, of looking at a phone or watching a YouTube video and, and being engaged with something. So I find it very difficult to roll back to what I used to do when I was a child, which was, you know, going out to play or reading a book or do, doing something which wasn't connected to the internet. It's very difficult to do. So I don't, I don't know if you've got any suggestions as to how you can sort of start that process. How do you start the detoxing process? Well, well you see, you've, you've made the point you've answered your own question in a funny sort of way. How do you do it? It's, there's an old thing in um, Simon Mayo's program, um, Wittertainment, how do, you, how, do you, how do you load a thing? Well, you just load a thing. 
how do you read a book? We just sort of get on and read it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I find it hilarious that, um, you know, we've got apps now that actually tell you, you know, the Pomodoro app that says, you know, you need to focus for 25 minutes now. And after 25 minutes, I'm going to be, and then you have yeah. 10 minutes to go out and work out. And then you have to come back in and do this. And actually the very best way is just put your phone down all away and say, do you know what? For an entire morning, I'm not going to look at emails. Mm-hmm. And it's astonishing <clears throat> what you achieve. I mean, your point there about, I mean, that, old-fashioned idea about reading i mean you'll see behind me it's like a it's like the um it's like the zoom myth isn't it you see hundreds of books and i i read fiction because fiction is astonishingly relaxing to read mm-hmm. and and i've given up on the kindle now because actually i've i've read so many books on the kindle none of which i remember yeah. and we now know that retention from um the digital page is is about something like 10 percent of yeah you know from the from the, the written page or the physical page because of the whole you know mm-hmm. using one you're only engaging with one sense so the way to do it is to do it and well, I, you know I, I know that sounds just trite as an answer but that is it that is the answer isn't it well, well it's got to be i guess um and i know for some people reading isn't you know that's not what they like to do but i guess you can substitute reading with anything yeah. where it doesn't involve a screen so running yeah. or yeah. or going for a walk or sitting down outside doing whatever you want, listening to music. I, I mean, I don't know if music stimulates the same sort of uh, stress or reward or whatever it is. Again, I, I don't know. Um, but you can substitute anything for anything else. what I find you know, to be relaxing, which is reading. Yeah. And I mean, my, the, the conversation you and I had was very eye-opening for me. <clears throat> and, and in particular, the necessity to structure my day so uh, we talked about in the morning, that's a good time to get real hard work done because that's where your stress uh, levels are the lowest. And in the afternoons, you have meetings such as this one, you can you do recordings. Um, and then at a certain point, you, you ought to really switch off completely. So I've been trying to follow that since we've spoken. And I have to say it has made a marked difference in me feeling um, burnt out or, or very stressed at work because I can, I can relate to burnout. I can understand what it means because I've gone through it or I, I think I've gone through it. But since structuring the day and even that small little change, I found to be incredibly valuable. And that sort of formed for me the very basis onto which to try to take the next step. So the next step for me was um, at nighttime, I'm not going to take my laptop to, to bed with me to watch a movie or whatever. I'm going to take a book and I'll start reading my book. Um, for an hour or so before I sleep. So I found that to be incredibly helpful. And it sort of goes back to what you're saying in taking a little step yeah. almost just gets the ball rolling and then you, you can take greater strides as, as you know, as you go along. Yeah. I think, I think it's that, um, I, I love what you're saying there because actually what you've done is taken control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? We can control social media. We can control it and to the point we can't. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the brutal point, isn't it? If you can't control yourself and your own whims. Now, you said something interesting earlier that you said, let's replace the dopamine hit, the high, with cortisol reduction, the low. But actually, in psychology, what we often think about is replacing the high dopamine hit with another high dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you're an entrepreneur, you will get a high dopamine hit from that. Mm-hmm. And so actually, you can reduce, sop- you can reduce social media dopamine because the dopamine you get from actually going out and winning a sales meeting is immense. 
Yeah. You know, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's about replacing one. But that's not an addictive behavior. And even if it is, it's really, really quite useful, whereas social mm-hmm. media just generally isn't. So it's that thing about, you know, how do you, how do you balance that sort of body chemistry and making sure that the dopamine washes out of your system and the cortisol is out of your system at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the other, the other things I've looked to do is remove uh, social media from the phone. Yeah. Admittedly, I still have LinkedIn on there, um, but I, it's, that's more for business purposes. Yeah. Um, I don't have Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. Um, again, just because it's not something I want to be looking at every two minutes. So I've tried to remove that. Uh, and again, it really does help. And I would urge anyone listening to this who perhaps knows as, as much as I do about these sorts of topics, which is not very much, is to you know, read into these things a little bit more. Look at trying to take these little steps into basically looking after yourself. Because if you, if you don't take these little steps, the really big ones going cold turkey is just not going to happen, or at least it won't happen very long. From my experience, trying to completely detox is, is a no-go straight away. Brilliant. Uh, so, you know, I, I would really stress to anyone listening that for me, at least, that was, that was the way I found a good way forward. Good. Well, okay, Dan, it's been, I just noticed, as always, I get in, involved in the conversation. I'd want yep. to be respectful of your time. <laughs> you know, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can get hold of your podcast. So the podcast is called the Freelance Entrepreneur Podcast. Um, the episode with you, Russell, isn't, isn't published yet. It's, it's season two, which isn't out. I'm still recording that. Um, but if you search, I'm on all the, the big um, podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, etc., or just uh, Google the freelanceentrepreneur.co.uk. Hopefully my website pops up so you can get in contact with me if you're interested to be on the show or, or anything along those lines. Um, or you could just search for me, Daniel Jenkins, on LinkedIn and it'll pop up with my LinkedIn profile um, uh, as a solicitor. If you need to contact me for any legal purposes, that's fine as well. But um, I, think, I think mainly the podcast at the moment I'm trying to push forward because I, I find I've had a lot of really rewarding comments about that with people that it's helping and no doubt same for this podcast as well with you russell Um, thanks so much thank you for being part of the show i really appreciate your time thank you very much you take care hi everybody i hope you found that episode useful and interesting feedback is always welcomed and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on itunes or stitcher that would be amazing If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.